Good morning, everyone. Welcome to It's a New Day here on WFYL 1180 AM, where we're working for your liberty and things that matter. Thank you for tuning in today. My name is Ken Souter, your host over the next hour, where we will be biblically speaking on a subject that really matters to all of us right now, and that has certainly been in the news 24-7, and that is the pandemic known as COVID-19, coronavirus, or Wuhan flu, depending upon how politically correct you want to be. So we're going to devote the whole hour uh, to this pandemic, and uh, we will have Dr. Ken Maddow with us, a, a very a familiar friend to us here on the show. And we'll be talking about this, discussing some of the issues surrounding this, especially as we think about our response as Christians. What should we be thinking about this? What should we be doing, not doing? I know there's a lot of issues that have come up, so hopefully we'll have enough to talk about over the next hour, and um, we'll we'll kick it around and, and see what happens. But uh, I'd like to open up with saying a few things uh, about biblically speaking. Uh, this show is designed to build your biblical worldview, and Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. So God's word is very clear that knowledge is something that will destroy us. Lack of knowledge, I should say, not knowledge, but lack of knowledge will destroy us. So this is what this program is about. It's about building a biblical worldview. And, you know, that's something we're really lacking in the church today. A biblical worldview is where we interpret the events of the day through the lens of scripture. It's just pretty much that simple. However, here's the rub. It really it really requires you to know the, the word of God, okay? First and foremost, obviously. And there's a, a tr tremendous amount of biblical literacy in this country, let's face it. Not to put anyone down, but it's a reality. It's, it's the only way that, that we can uh, come to an understanding here. But a biblical worldview, it's really the only way to see the world and the events through the true biblical narrative, okay? What's it all about? In other words, what is God doing in the world today? Is there any kind of a plan? It, and if so, you know, how does how do the things that we see today fit into that plan? I came across a verse oh, about a month ago that just kind of popped out at me. I don't know if that ever happened to you, but uh, it really helped me understand what's going on in the world. And it's in Ephesians 1 chapter 1 and verse 10, and it says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he, that is God, might gather all things, gather together in one, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. So that's God's, one of the, God's master plan is that he is working all things for Christ, for his sake, that he might gather all things in heaven and on earth, even in him. You know, there's a great book that I picked up about a year ago, and it's called The History of the Work of Redemption by Jonathan Edwards. And it was his attempt to retell the entire story of human history from the divine perspective of God's sovereign plan, okay? 
It's a meta-narrative that intends to cast the unfolding drama of redemptive history as a coherent, divinely driven unity, expressly controlled and compelled by God's glorious determination. As such, it is unabashedly a theocentric retelling of human history and a direct counterattack to what we see today, which is the prevailing contemporary enlightenment view that mankind is driving its own history, propelled by the twin oars of human virtue and innovation. If you watch TV today, that's what they believe. They don't believe that there's a, a, a God behind the, the, the history of the world. They kind of think that things happen randomly and they can be controlled by the human oars of virtue and innovation. So things don't happen by random chance. So God is working out his plan in history. And if you think about it, history is his story. After his resurrection, Christ was seated at the right hand of the Father. And it says in Matthew 28, 18 and 19, that all power was given unto him in heaven and in earth. So think about that. All power. If he has all power, what power does the devil have? None. Uh, Christ is ruling this world. He is working all things according to the counsel of his own will and for his purposes. And Ephesians 1, 20 through 22, we read this, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. What does that mean? It says that Christ is ruling over this world right now, building his church through the preaching of the gospel and will come back after he has made all enemies his footstool. He has conquered all his enemies. Ultimately, Jesus will be confessed to be Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Everyone will do this, not just Christians, everyone, either now in time and history or at the end of the world. But Christ will be confessed as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So folks, don't get caught up in the rabbit trails that really do not help you to understand the real story behind the scenes that God is orchestrating. And so that brings us to coronavirus. How is this working out God's redemptive plan in history. Is it? If you believe the Bible, you'd have to say it is. Just a couple stories in the Bible that will illustrate this, I believe. How about the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers and was sent into Egypt? At that point, it looked like everything was going against him and that God was against Joseph. But God sovereignly worked out his plan to redeem his people from starvation. There was a, a great famine in the land of Israel. And so here's Joseph now, through the circumstances of what seemed to be everything that would be wrong, <laughs> and God is not in control of the whole situation. Now Joseph, in the land of Egypt, made second in command under Pharaoh, 
is in a position where he can now call his people down to Egypt for food, which he had stored up for seven years. And so that is just a phenomenal story there of how that worked out. And, and as you recall, Joseph finally at the end, when his brothers realized that they had done something terrible against their own brother, Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So the story of the Egyptian bondage of God's people was another one, illustration. It was for God's plan to show his power in rescuing his people from slavery and bondage. And that is, God's power against Pharaoh was demonstrated for all the world to see. And even though the Jews, the Israelites, went through a tremendous amount of persecution and slavery and hardship, God used it and delivered them out of Pharaoh and through it all. God's power was demonstrated that he is more powerful than the most powerful kings of the earth and that he can bring them down in rescuing his people. And then finally, the third story I like is the story of Esther. And it's in the book of Esther. And this is a story of God's people, again, who were under threat of annihilation by the enemies of the Jews. But through divine providence, God turned the whole situation around so that Haman, the man who was really the enemy of the Jews and trying to destroy them, he built a gallows that he was going to hang Mordecai on, was hung on the same gallows he had plans to use to hang Mordecai on. God turned the whole situation around. Again, it started out looking like things were out of control. God's people were going to be destroyed. And yet, in the end, we see God worked all things, turned all things around. And actually, the Gallows that Haman had made for Mordecai are the same gallows that Haman was hung on. So, folks, what I'm saying all this is do not fret or worry about the catastrophic events that you are seeing around you today. These are certainly the most trying times I can ever imagine in my life that I've seen. Often, you know, God is bringing judgment on the wicked of this world. That's what he's doing, I believe, right now. And if you are not a born-again believer and a follower of Christ, you have not bent the knee to King Jesus, you have something to worry about because God's judgment is showing you his power and that you ought to fear him and see how dependent we are on him and his mercy. You know, the Bible says it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. We take it for granted day by day, don't we, as we get up and put our shoes on and Go about our day. Hopefully you take a shower before you do that. <laughs> but um, And we just sort of take it for granted, right? We think every day is going to be like the day before. But actually, it's of the Lord's mercy that, that we are still here. And he's doing that for a purpose, to give you time to consider your situation and your sin against him and your need to repent and trust in the provision that God has provided in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if you're a, a political ruler, I want to say this to you right now as well. Psalm 2, let me read this real quick. Psalm 2 addresses you if you're a politician right now. It says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. That's Christ saying, what are they saying? It says, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens, that's God, 
shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Derision. He's laughing at them. So foolish that we're going to cast the bands away. We're not going to submit to God, his rule, his law, his word. Verse 5, then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. And I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me. That's God saying to Jesus. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Do you think he would do it if he asked him? Sure he will. And the heathen are all the countries of this world. And the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. God owns this world. Jesus owns this world, not the devil. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Him. There used to be a time in this country where our political leaders understood this, that they were not king, <laughs> but there was one king over all kings, and that was Christ. You read the founders, you read George Washington, you read the uh, pilgrims, they all understood this principle. Abraham Lincoln understood this principle, that when in the middle of the Civil War, he issued his proclamation for prayer and humility and fasting over the nation because he recognized that this was happening because God was angry. God was angry and we needed to bow and confess and forsake our sins as a nation. Where do you hear any politician saying that today? I don't. I don't. So Dr. Ken, are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. That was my, uh, I guess you would call it my opening remarks there uh, in terms of my monologue. <laughs> so, you know, you just heard what I said there. And, and, you know, I'm asking you to, you know, give me some of your ideas with all this. What, what do you think God is doing with this coronavirus? Well, well, you know, one verse that really struck me, and it was basically this afternoon when I was looking at it. It's First uh, Thessalonians 5.3 when it says, For when they shall say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Well, I want to read from John Gill on the subject of peace and safety, and he, he says this so beautifully. When they shall sing a requiem to themselves, promise themselves much ease and peace for years to come, and imagine their persons and property to be very secure from enemies and oppressors and shall flatter themselves with much and long temporal happiness. Well, you know, the stock market hit 29,000. Unemployment was low. And what was happening here in this country, there was an arrogance, and even around the entire world. Nobody wanted anything to do with God because the uh, coffers were filled. So what happens? Then next part of that verse, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as on the old men of the old world in the times of Noah and on the inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah in the days of Lot. If you look at the coronavirus, 
the coronavirus literally about two months ago, you almost didn't hear anything about it. Mm. Now it's like you said, 724 on every station. And it was fostered on us very, very quickly. And it's definitely the Lord is doing something because, uh, this happened, I mean, the economies of, of this entire world are literally shut down. In Rwanda, they have a stay-home policy. Some guy ventured out, he got eaten by a crocodile. So th- these are some of the things that happen, and the Lord is definitely in control of this whole thing. And, you know, we, there's quite a number of plagues in the Bible, and a lot of people look at this and ask the question, is this the end times? Well, the Bible teaches the end times started at the cross and will end at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So during this entire period, uh, different types of plagues, diseases, all kinds of calamities are going to happen because we live in a, a fallen world. And when we begin to become arrogant and, and say we don't need God, who's he? You know, I mean, these are the kind of things that the Lord looks at. And if you go back at the time of of ancient Israel, ancient Judah, they had the same attitude. About 62, 63 AD, I would say, Judah was really prospering. Everything was going well. Business was fantastic. And then in 66 AD, the invasion by Rome, they started to invade and started to destroy until 70 AD until it was completely destroyed. So they had quite a number of years to really evaluate what was going on, but they never turned back to the Lord. And that's the same thing's happening in in our country. We have a virus that was literally created in China. A man named Dr. Francis Boyle, who was a bioweapons expert, stated There is this biosafety level four facility there in Wuhan. It's the first in China, and it was specifically set up to deal with the coronavirus and SARS. Mm -hmm. SARS is basically a weaponized version of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. There have been leaks before of SARS out of this facility, and indeed the only reason for these BSL-4 facilities, based on my experience, is the research, development, testing, and stockpiling of offensive biological weapons. Now, a level four biofacility means levels of containment range from the lowest biosafety level one to the highest at level four. Level four then contains the most dangerous viruses, needing extreme vigilance in containment. And basically, this means that countries all over the world continue their research into bioweapons despite a worldwide ban. And what they're doing is, whenever they mess and, and try to do something with God's creation, man always messes it up. Mm-hmm. And things like this always happen. So it's interesting that it started in China, because in China is one of the biggest persecutors of Christians today. And a well, lot I'm of these I'm countries... Glad you brought that, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, because, you know, they, they are really, truly... And, and so is North Korea. I'm wondering also what's going on in North Korea, but we'll get to that. But uh, yeah, and God God punishes nations that persecute his church. I, I thoroughly believe that. Oh, absolutely. He did it 
I, I have a, just a, a little bit of history on, on something on the fourth Roman persecution, which was interesting. But, you know, now as a result of this, you have politically motivated laws in most countries. On March 13th, Denmark passed a law that all citizens must be tested for the virus. Now, when the vaccine is available, then all citizens must be vaccinated or else they will basically become excommunicated from their society. And the law will remain in effect until March 2021. If they don't get vaccinated, they will not be allowed to shop, go to banks, go to nursing homes, any, anything like that. If they refuse to get tested and take the vaccine, they are subject to arrest and imprisonment. So how long do we think before the other countries are going to adopt these same control laws? Right? So this, yeah. this is what's happening now because of this. Mm-hmm. Um, just yesterday on the Christian News Network on Tuesday, March 27th, Bill de Blasio, the communist mayor of New York, and he is a communist. I'm not saying it's not a story. No, I, I agree. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. He, he told churches to stop services or we will close you down permanently. Mm. And here's a quote. If you go to your church and attempt to hold services after having been told so often not to, our enforcement agents will have no choice but to shut down the services. Further quote, if that does not happen, they will take additional action up to the point of fines and potentially closing the building permanently. Again, that will begin this weekend. Now, you see what's happening? Now, the churches are being attacked. The abortion clinics are open. The the, uh, liquor stores are open. Yep. You know, all of these things. Uh, A lot of these are open. Now, I don't know if you heard about this, but as of uh, March 30th, which was, I think, it was uh, Monday, Rodney Howard Brown, okay? Now, I, I'm not in favor of his theology. He was the guy that came up with this laughing revival and everything like this. But he was pastor at the River Tampa Bay Church in Tampa, Florida, and was arrested for holding two services where 500 people attended each one. And he responded. He said, last time I checked, the liquor stores were open in Tampa. Medicinal weed places are open last time I checked. I believe there are abortion clinics open some area. He also said, who's been to a store this week? Don't you see how many people are in there? And he said the people came out of their own desire. He never forced them or told them that, you know, that, the, 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 that God's going to come down on them if they don't come to church. They came voluntarily. Now, it's quite interesting that about last week, Robert Jeffress said that the world needs to see a strong church. Yeah, they need to see a strong church and his doors were closed. Well, how, how, how is that showing strength? Now, how about, he, how about Hebrews 10.25? Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Oh, yeah. What's happening is a lot of Christians stay home from church. They don't go. They don't want to go. Now they're being forced to stay home. So let's see what happens. Now they're going to start complaining because they can't go to church. So (laughs) For years and years, pastors were trying to, and I understand, look, I'm not, obviously it is some consideration that if it's as infectious as it is, but look, there's a will, there's a way. I mean, as the weather warms up, perhaps we can gather on the churchyard outside and have an open air service where we're 10 feet apart. Uh, you know, I, I'm just so anxious to see how this is all going to play out. But I know that uh, 
there's a, a lot of uh, different feelings on this right now as to which which is really you know the right way. I do know this. I know Satan is subtle. He's very subtle, and ever since the beginning of time, he's trying to destroy either Jesus Christ or his kingdom. And uh, I, I do believe that this is part of what's going on here is is trying to shut down the work of God in this world. And I think after this is all over, it's going to be, you know, something like that. You're not going to be allowed to assemble unless you have a vaccine or, or something like that. I don't know how it's all going to work out yet, but trust me, <laughs> we're going to lose liberty over this. Oh, but, we're, we're, we're losing them already because if you got uh, people staying home off the streets, now is the perfect time to install more surveillance <clears throat> and, and, and watch everybody everywhere. You know, if our government was so concerned about our health, all right, the cigarette plague kills about 480,000 people a year. That's according to the CDC. Okay, the U.S. has been manufacturing cigarettes since 1860, which means cigarettes have been killing people for 160 years. Okay? The alcohol plague kills about 88,000 a year. Okay? The National Institute on Alcoholic Abuse and Alcoholism. If our government is so concerned about our health, why are cigarettes and alcohol allowed to be sold? That's 560,000 people approximately every single year die from that stuff. But there's a reason, because they get revenue from it. Believe mm -hmm. me, if they could find a way to tax the coronavirus, they would, because that's exactly how our government operates. So, yep, absolutely. Uh, this is just incredible to see what's going on. So. What do you think uh, should be our response as Christians? As I said in my opening monologue there, I really believe that the devil may mean it for evil, but God meant it for good. So how is this going to work out? And, and what should we be doing as Christians right now, in your opinion? Well, you know, if we keep listening to Dr. Fauci, who's the scaremonger in chief at the White House, then what we're going to do is we're going to crawl back in our beds and under our covers. As true believers... What we have to do is we have to show people calmness. Now, right now, if you go to YouTube, you will see so many coronavirus toilet paper fights. It's unbelievable. Mm. And as, as Christians, we need to keep our heads. We, we need to understand that if the Lord does take us, if this thing is of the Lord, then it's not going to stop until he decides to stop it. So no matter what we do, all you can you can have everybody staying home, hunkered down, and and, and tied to their beds so they can't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And this virus will not end until the Lord decides to stop it. Now, it, you know, it's interesting. The word pestilence, as found in the in the both Old and New Testament, it actually means virus, epidemic, pandemic. Okay, it's used 46 times in the Old Testament and, and twice in the New Testament. And it says, and great earthquakes shall be in diverse places, different places, and famines and pestilences. And fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. That's Luke 21, 11. Then it says in Matthew 24, 7, is the nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Now, there was a earthquake in Utah measuring 5.7. Not too long now, ago. Nobody heard about that because everything's a virus. Right. Now, the biggest difficulty of this virus is not going to be the actual disease itself. 
mm-hmm. but the anticipatory fear that it will instill. The number is higher for those living in fear than those who actually have the virus. And it says, you know, in Luke 21, 26, men's hearts failing them for fear mm-hmm. and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. So, yeah. and, 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 you know, one of the things, too, is, is like Romans 3.18 says, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The people in this world do not fear the Lord. So what has the Lord done? He's given them something to fear. Mm. And that's something that's very important. Now, people will turn around and say, oh, this is the devil. This ain't of God. Well, then take them to Exodus 4.11. The Lord takes responsibility for creating physical maladies. And the Lord said unto him, who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb? Or deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? The Lord takes responsibility for that, like he did with the ten plagues on Egypt. God Mm -hmm. specifically sent them, and if you look at the different gods of Egypt, he attacked every single one. Wow. And the the last one was the god Ra. That was their big one. And that was, he was the one who could not stop the firstborn from being killed. You know, it's also interesting there is Pharaoh recognized it was coming from God as well. He would ask Moses to go to God and, you know, uh, remove the plague. You know, today, most people don't even want to recognize where it's coming from. It's coming from the Lord. It, it, it really is. Exactly. Uh, just because we live in the year 2020 doesn't mean that we're exempt from anything. Science has brought us a long way. and that, 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 The only reason science has brought us a long way is because the Lord allowed them to discover things like DNA. Okay? It's not that they're so smart. It's just that the Lord had opened the door for them to learn, to understand, and to, and to see his creation. But yet, what do they do? Oh, no, it's evolution. Yeah, DNA formed by evolution. Right. That's like me tearing up a phone book, throwing it up in the air, and, it, and having it come down all put together again. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so, yeah. Actually, I, I, while you were talking here, I, I turned over to Deuteronomy 28. That's a, You ought to read that. Deuteronomy 28 is... A, a tremendous verse, blessings and cursings for obedience and disobedience. And and under the disobedience part is the latter half of the chapter. In verse 58, it says, If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law which are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, then the Lord will make thy plagues wonderful and the plagues of thy seed, even great plagues, and of long continuance. We think this is going to be over shortly. That might be the next surprise. Oh, and yeah, so- exactly. And sore sicknesses and of long continuance. Moreover, he will bring upon thee all the diseases of Egypt, which thou wast afraid of, and they shall cleave unto thee. And every sickness and every plague, which is not written in the book this law, then will the Lord bring upon thee until thou be destroyed. And ye shall be left few in number, whereas ye were as the stars of heaven for multitude, because thou wouldst not obey the voice of the Lord thy God. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked off the land whither thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of earth, even unto the other. And there shall... 
They'll serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even woods and stones and so on and so forth. But the whole idea there is fear. Uh, exactly. You know, the, the, the idea that he'll bring fear on people. And, uh, you know, people are petrified. Now you go out to the supermarket, it's like you get too close and people are like running away from you and you can get it on your shoes now. And, oh, my gosh, you know. So, you know, this is and the fact that you had said this comes on very quickly. God can do things very quickly. Now, the very good news quickly, is he, yeah. he can bring a revival very quickly as well. Uh, we'll. Hopefully pray that that will be the result of this. And I guess what, what I want to do is more or less now transition a little bit over to, you know, throughout history. How have these things helped the church, made it better? expanded God's kingdom, brought more into his kingdom, that sort of thing. Is there anything, anything that you've been thinking about lately? Do you have any ideas well, on that, if that could really you know, work out for good? Well, I'll, I'll tell you, there's just uh, well, there's two other verses I want to look at before we go on to that. Yeah. Uh, on the same subject, Amos 4.10, I have sent among you the pestilence after the manner of Egypt, Mm. Your young men have I slain with the sword and have taken away your horses. I mm. have made the stink of your camps to come up into your nostrils. Yet have ye not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And now he's speaking directly to, to Israel there. And I believe this coronavirus is speaking directly to the Christian. Now, the reason I say that is because Isaiah 118, all right? We always heard that this is a salvation verse, and it's not. It says, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Okay? A lot of preachers like to use this as a salvation verse, but the bottom line is, once we become saved, God removes our sins, so there's nothing on us to be painted white. What it's really talking about, and this comes from uh, emedicinehealth.com, what he's talking about is leprosy. Mm. The signs of leprosy may vary with the form of disease, flat or raised skin lesions or nodules, often less pigmented than the surrounding skin, though they may be reddish or copper colored. Now, what he's talking about here, <clears throat> that Judah's sins were not yet complete. They were only in the beginning, but if they did not return to the Lord, they would become white as snow. In other words, sin would permeate the land completely, which it did. And the same thing in the United States. If we don't take into consideration the fact that God is warning us right now, like he sent prophets in the old days, he sends plagues now. He's warning us. He's saying, listen, if your sins, your sins are like a red nodule right now, okay? But if you continue in your sin, it's going to get worse and worse and worse until such a point that you're going to be white. Now, the leprosy, uh, let me say, 2 Kings 5.27, the leprosy therefore of Naaman shall cleave unto thee and unto thy seed forever. And this is talking about Gehazi. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Mm -hmm. His greed completely permeated him. And what happened was... He became leprous, white as snow. And that's what is going to happen to America if we don't watch it. Because God will fall upon this nation like he did on Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, 
ancient Israel, England, the Soviet Union, Greece, mm -hmm. Rome, Japan, Nazi Germany, and China is soon to be judged because of the persecution of Christians. It was George Santayana who said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And what we're happening is, we're repeating it. We're allowing our smaller sins to mushroom. And we see now that our country is permeated by abortions, drunkenness, sodomy. We're no better than the empires yeah. of the past, our yeah. feasts. I don't believe they canceled the Mardi Gras last month. I, don't, I honestly don't think they, they canceled it. No, and they now, didn't. from what I understand, in New Orleans, they have a tremendous breakout of coronavirus. Exactly. God is dealing with that because the, the Mardi Gras is nothing more than the Feast of Dionysius, the god of wine. It's all orgies and stuff like that. So that's what's happening. You yeah, know, there's another interesting verse, Ken. Yeah, go ahead. Um, it's in Solomon's prayer in uh, 1 Kings 8. I'll just read verse 37 and 38. If there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting, mildew, locust, or if there be caterpillar, if thine enemy besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, whatsoever sickness there may be, what prayer and supplication soever be made by any man or by thy people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart. Hmm. This is a time for introspection, mm. okay? And, and, and this is a this pestilence from God. Nothing can be done until he ends the virus. That plague in our own heart, what is it? Gambling, drinking, smoking, partying, false Bible versions, not concerning myself with eternal life. That's what the whole book of Ecclesiastes is about. It's all about people just looking to live for this life and not concerning themselves with what's beyond. It's, oh, God don't exist. He is, yeah, they wish he doesn't exist. That's what they're saying, basically. So, you know. Yeah, in other words, uh, they're saying it's, it's, it's vain to serve the Lord. It's vain. Oh, absolutely, waste the, yeah. Waste the time. Why would you do that? Exactly. That's what, and that's what Israel said. It was vain to serve the Lord. That's what Solomon had written that. So, but now, you had asked, uh, there are other plagues and different things like that. Mm -hmm. the, uh, I, I have about just 12 listed. I'll just, I'll just read them off real quick. Okay. We had the HIV-AIDS pandemic at its peak from between 2005 and 12, death toll mm -hmm. 36 million. The flu pandemic in 1968, 1 million death toll. The Asian flu, 56 to 58, 2 million. Then, of course, the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, took 20 to 50 million. The cholera pandemic in 1910 to 11 took over 800,000 plus. Another flu pandemic in 1889 and 90 took 1 million. Another cholera pandemic in 1852 to 60 took 1 million. The Great Plague of London, 1665 to 66, took 100,000 plus. The London Plague of 1625, the death toll was 40,000. Now, this is interesting. The Black Death of 1346 to 1353, the death toll was 75 to 200 million, and it started in China. No way. Okay? So that was, that was and then the Plague of Justinian, 541 to 542, which covered Europe, Asia, and Africa, killed 25 million people. Wow. Now, 
We're talking a little bit about the Lord sending also on the politicians for their treatment of the church. Well, there was a man named Marcus Aurelius Antoninus. He was a uh, emperor of Rome. And about the year 161, he was very stern and severe. And towards the Christians, he was harsh and brutal. Okay? And the cruelties that he used in the persecution was such that many of the spectators who would normally love it shuddered with horror in their sight. Mm -hmm. They were astonished at the boldness of the Christians. Mm -hmm. Some of the martyrs were obliged to pass with their already wounded feet over thorns, nails, sharp shells, upon their points, everything. Others were scourged until the sinews and veins lay bare, mm. suffering the most excruciating tortures that could be devised. They were destroyed by the most terrible death. Then three years later, the Antonine Plague happened in 165, death toll of five million, okay? And it, the, the historians have claimed that it killed off 25% of the Roman Empire. And that led to the spread of Christianity, because even during that time, the Christians cared for the sick and offered a spiritual understanding whereby mm. plagues were not the work of angry and capricious deities, but the product of a broken creation in revolt against a loving God. So they were saying, hey, Mars had nothing to do with this. Vesta had nothing to do with this. None of your fake gods. But we live in a fallen world, and that's what's going to happen. These things are going to happen. And then there was the fifth persecution, a man named Septimius Severus. He ruled from 193 to 211. He recovered from a severe fit of sickness. Okay, he, A Christian helped him. And because of that, he favored the Christians in general. But, now, this is interesting, but the prejudice and fury of the ignorant multitude prevailed. Obsolete laws were put in execution against the Christians. You see, it wasn't the emperor, it were the people themselves, okay? So when you go out to the street and you're witnessing to people and they throw things at you, and then they say, oh, no, 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 don't tell me about God, and they start swearing at you. Basically, what they're doing is the same thing these, these Roman people did. It wasn't the emperor, it was the people who were against them. And the same people that we see on the streets are against God. And when David delivered his psalm, he said, touch not mine anointed, do my prophets no harm. That's what the Lord is telling. It's saying, do my prophets no harm. Now, I'm not talking about the prophets that are receiving any revelation from God, but these prophets are the ones who declare God's word. And when we declare God's word, and God is saying, do my prophets no harm, he's going to defend us and he's going to protect us. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that's a, a real comfort you know, to the believer that if you are dwelling in the secret place, so to speak, of the Most High, and I'm reading Psalm 91.1 now, shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, we have a divine protection plan as believers, okay? And I think maybe in the last uh, 15 minutes or so, I'd like to dwell on that a little bit and uh, get, offer some reassurance to those who are true believers out there and who are, you know, concerned and, you know, am I going to catch the virus or what's God doing with me personally? Psalm 91 is where I've been turning to. And I, I just want to read that and maybe make a few comments along the way. And certainly if you want to interject, please do. 
But it says, uh, Psalm 91, 1, it says, He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. I guarantee you won't get truth on the mainstream media. Uh, verse 5, Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness. It's an invisible enemy. We don't know where it's at. We can't see it. It's like walking in darkness nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. Here's a good one. A thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder, the young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Great promises to the believer, right, Ken? Oh, absolutely. You know, in, in, in verse 15, it's very encouraging because he says, and I will answer him. Mm -hmm. Okay, he didn't say maybe, might. Yes. How many Christians say, oh, well, God don't answer my prayers. Well, if God says no, hey, that's an answer. And he says, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble, okay? Suppose we do uh, contract the coronavirus, and mm -hmm. we have to get taken to a hospice or something like that. We can be a light right up until the time our physical light is out. And then once it's out, boom, we don't have to worry anymore. Never have to worry about the sickness, disease, or anything like this. And he says, with long life will I satisfy him and, I, and show him my salvation. That's talking to the believer, because it only is. the believer will, will, uh, will have salvation. You've heard of the Peter Principle, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. And we, Christianity has one, too. But just for those who are listening don't know it, the Peter Principle was a concept in management developed by Lawrence J. Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to their level of incompetence. An employee is basically promoted on their success in previous jobs. Mm -hmm. But as he said, skills in one job do not necessarily translate to another. Well, we have a Christian Peter principle, and I was looking at this, found in Matthew, 20, uh, Matthew 14, 28 to 30. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if, be, if it be thou, bid me come, thee, come unto thee on the water. And he says, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, Lord, saying, Lord, save me. So here's Peter walking on the water. Then all of a sudden he starts looking around. Okay, what are we doing today? We know our faith is in God, but as soon as our eyes are off of him, 
We begin to start extracting the fear from the media. We begin to start um, extracting the fear, putting it into ourselves that we see other people. Remember, unbelievers, have, this is the only world they have. They have to hang on to it. Mm-hmm. So God said we're going to be living in perilous times, and, and that's going to happen. Everything around us, because we live in a fallen world, I mean, you know, there's plagues in the Bible, and, and after, after the Bible was written, there's plagues, pestilences, and everything. And the only reason that it looks so harsh is because we are living through it. We're not reading it in a history book. If you look at the Spanish flu in 1918, we, we can read through that and say, oh, those people had a hard time. But hey, we're living in it right now. Now, if I was to give advice to brothers and sisters out there right now, as Christians living in perilous times, how should we conduct our walk, okay? First of all, we conduct ourselves in light of salvation. At the times you were without Christ from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant, mm-hmm. having no hope. Well, we have hope. We live in light of salvation. Mm-hmm. Then we live in the light of eternity, okay? And we know that when, if our physical tabernacle is, is destroyed, we have life eternal. So we live in light of eternity. Then we live in light of our calling, and our calling may be to help others during this time, or even just to be a witness to them that, we're, that we are being witnesses and calmness, and we're showing calmness and, and, and joy during this time and everything. Number four, in light of our relationship to God. Okay, we talked a lot this past hour concerning uh, how we can have faith in God, we trust Him, that He's going to guide us, and He's going he's gonna to watch over us, and that's how we can survive through this thing. Mm-hmm. Now, I just want to, just real quick, we only got a few minutes, I just want to give some suggestions, and what, I just want to say the, to the listeners that what Ken and I are, are not saying is we're not saying don't take the precautions, okay? Mm-hmm. Use hand sanitizer with alcohol strength of 60 to 95%. Anything less is useless. Dollar store hand sanitizers are about as good as a, as a squirt gun on a forest fire. If you cannot find hand sanitizer... Get some isopropyl alcohol. Mm-hmm. Make sure your cleaners are alcohol-based and not chemical-based. Alcohol-based cleaners destroys the virus on surfaces. And then fight the virus on two fronts, internal and external. I suggest to people, and I do this myself, I take a good multivitamin, boost your immune system. Go to websites like uh, Swanson Vitamins, Life Extension, a few others and learn how you can boost your immune system. They're finding out that the South Korean doctors are curing the coronavirus with vitamin C infusion. All the experts on TV are not telling you about this. So you're hearing it here. Fight the virus by boosting your immune system and don't give it a chance to get into your body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. And I, I think, you know, I do believe that a lot of information that could help us is not not being a given and or else, uh, you know, uh, depressed in some way, shape or form. Like, oh, well, we have to wait till this test or that test and it's not proven. But yet I'm hearing things online of doctors who have having great success with some of these malaria medications 
and and so forth. And you just got to wonder if they really are looking out for us or not. But yeah, I agree. I've been taking vitamin C to every day and zinc and uh, trying to drink as much juice and vegetables and all that stuff, you know, and, and just trying to be wise yeah. about it and keeping myself sheltered. But yeah, so hopefully, uh, you know, out of this all, I mean, I would like to see some sort of revival take place in our nation. And I'm not just talking about, you know, make a decision for Christ and then go back to your life. But I'm talking about serious repentance of godly sorrow for the sins that we have committed. I think of Sabbath desecration week in and week out, football games and all this sorts of things. Well, that just look back in our history. That's that was just absolutely unheard of, you know, in the history of the church in, the, in our country. Even there were laws against that. OK, because you look at Nehemiah. He realized how serious Sabbath desecration was. He laid hands on them and removed them from the gate, you know, because he says, this is what brought us into bondage in Babylon because of our Sabbath desecration. And God may have us in exile for a while to make up for the lost time that was his. He'll get back his time one way or another. I, I drive around and see all these stores closed that should have been closed on Sundays. And now they're closed. They're laying foul. Now they're closed seven days, yeah. And, and, and God may keep this going on until he gets his time back. And we should learn from that. You know, I, I'm not saying something new and different. This is not new, okay? What's new no. is treating the Lord's Day like any other day. Uh, there was a time when I was growing up that all the stores were closed by law. And uh, the idea was that we are not, we are to honor the Lord's Day, okay? Get into all this stuff about whether it's Saturday mm -hmm. or Sunday. That's a side issue. The issue is the Lord's Day, okay? We're supposed to honor it the whole day. It's his day. It's not your day. You don't get to do it the way you want it. You don't get to spend money on the Lord's Day except for necessities and those sorts of things. But anyway, I digress. I just hope that out of all this, something really good comes out of it. We'll see. But uh, right now, it's kind of interesting to watch and... Uh, I would suggest turning off the TV, getting yourselves a good giant print <laughs> King James Cambridge edition Bible and begin to read some of these uh, chapters uh, in, uh, in the Bible. Psalm 46, uh, Psalm 90, Psalm 91. There's many things in there that will help you uh, during this time to think good things, keep your mind stayed on him. Isaiah, I believe it says we're he will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee. Right. Don't watch Isaiah too much. 26.3, a tremendous, tremendous comfort for the believer. So, you know, don't worry too much. Take precautions. I truly believe that God will watch over us as believers. He will protect us. And I think it's a judgment on the wicked in our nation. And uh, I think we'll hopefully uh, come out of this better at the end. But I think we've run out of time. Brother, thank you for being on with me today. I do appreciate that, and uh, we'll probably have you back on again. But for now, we've run out of time. My name is Ken Souter, and you've been listening to Biblically Speaking here on WFYL, where we are working for your liberty and things that matter. Thank you for tuning in today, and God bless. We'll see you again. <music>